0: I'm joined by Ian Pritchett, director at Sassy Property and Greencore Construction. Thank you so much for joining me, Ian.
1: No problem. Pleased to be here. So, can you? The
0: way I like to start these conversations is really just by taking a bit of a, a bit of a back background. Um, so, can you please start by describing the problem that I suppose both Sassy Property and Greencore Construction solve?
1: Sure. Um, Sassy really is an enabling company. It it acts as developer. So it finds land and it finds investment, brings the two things together, and then acts as the developer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Green Core construction is is the construction partner. We design and build low carbon houses. So you bring the two things together and you've got both partners, one that makes it happen and one that builds it.
0: That's very cool. And so the, 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 the main challenge, I suppose, that I was at least when I when I was looking into SASE, I I saw that typically 40 to 60 tons of CO2 are emitted in the construction of a house.
1: That's right. The average new house is responsible for 40 to 60 tons of CO2, probably 50 to 60 tons of CO2 at the construction stage. So that's everything from mining and quarrying materials, processing them, firing them, transporting them, packaging them, all of those sorts of things. By the time they actually get to the construction site and get built into a house, you've got 50 to 60 tons of CO2 emissions. So that's before you've done anything. Um, yeah. So we set about getting that to zero or as close to zero as we can.
0: That's incredible. And so how, I mean, how do you do that? That sounds like a big job.
1: Um, it's, it's like all these things. It seems difficult until you know how. Um, what we have is a, a greater advantage on our side, and that's nature. Um, okay. Trees and plants absorb carbon dioxide as they grow, and they turn it into cellulose. And if you work your way through the maths and the chemistry, you find it actually takes 1.8 kilos of CO2 to make one kilo of cellulose. So cellulose is a very useful material. It's everything from wood, wood products, fiber insulation, natural fiber insulations, uh, cellulose-based insulation, all of that sort of thing. So there's a whole range of uh, plant-based products that all lock up carbon. So when we design our houses, we have a series of choices to make and we can use things like brick and concrete and steel or we can use timber and natural fiber insulation. If you make the right choices, you get something that looks beautiful, lasts a long time, performs very well thermally, but also has as much carbon locked up in all of those materials as there is emitted in the things like the glass and the steel and the things that we can't avoid. And so we can get a house designed to have a zero carbon footprint, sometimes lower than zero, sometimes just above zero. But on average, it's a zero carbon footprint, and it's all just using the natural qualities of of bio-based materials.
0: That's really cool. So basically, instead of using something like brick, which this never occurred to me until you just mentioned it, I mean, brick requires actually quarrying, right? I mean, you you have to get stone from somewhere. Uh, So instead of all of that, you're just using bio-based materials.
1: Yep. Hmm. Of course, it's part of an ecosystem that when we when we use bio based materials they're 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 grown in some kind of rotation, so if we cut down one tree, we need to plant multiple trees to replace it. If we're using hemp, it's part of a crop rotation in a farming cycle or if we're using flax or or other natural materials mm-hmm. um so if if we make the right choices, then we can get zero carbon footprints and um it's The first time I I realized that you could do this was probably about 15 years ago, I suppose. We were doing a a study on uh, carbon footprinting and life cycles of materials, and we worked our way through the maths, and I thought, we must have made a mistake. You can't get below zero, but you can, and that's the great thing, because you can get some products that are below zero. That can compensate for the ones that have a higher carbon footprint. Mm. uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... That's incredible. So, you, I mean, you, you mentioned timber, you mentioned hemp, mm. and you mentioned flax. I mean, flax and hemp, to me, that sounds like things that uh, you'd normally find in a kitchen, and you're actually building houses out of them.
1: Yes. Well, um, things like hemp used to be the basis of the world economy before oil. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, we made, allegedly, 25,000 different products out of hemp. Wow. So everything from sails on sailing ships, to ropes, to rigging, to caulking of deck, to papers, to banknotes, to lighting oil. Um, we made car bodies. Henry Ford really, really? made uh, cars out of hemp in the 1940s. So there's all sorts of things that have been done during the Second World War, when aluminium was short. People experimented making fighter plane spitfires out of natural fibers and resins. And so That's incredible. There's there's nothing new to all of this. The automotive industry has been using bio-based materials for the last 15, 20 years as replacements for glass fiber and things. So um, it it sounds all a bit hippie, but actually these have got fantastic properties if you if you know all about them and use them in the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And are are they uh, I mean the so the the environmental cost is significantly lower. What about from a, from a financial perspective? Are they better for, I mean, are they less expensive? Or are they more cost-effective?
1: Um, they're slightly more expensive at the moment. Mm-hmm. But again, if you take a holistic view of designing and building a house, um, then we just prioritize different things. We make savings in other areas. So our houses are no more expensive than anybody else's houses. But the exciting thing is, as the as the demand grows and the supply chains improve, it has the potential to get a lot cheaper. Yeah, so we're we're not seeing much economy of scale at the moment.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure it will get there, especially if uh, if there's any sort of carbon taxing on a variety of different uh, different products that you have to use to actually build things.
1: Yes. Yeah. I I would agree. Uh, so-
0: the um, the Springfield Meadows development—that's that's one uh, we were just talking before we started recording. Which is, um, it's you said it's half completed. Yes. And it—I think it's so cool. It's it's thought to be the UK's most sustainable residential property development project. That's that, that's amazing. That Congratulations on that.
1: Well, it's a it's a claim we've made, um, <laughs> and uh, we we've said to everybody else we'd love to be proved wrong. If somebody else is doing something that's more sustainable, we'd love to know about it.
0: Sounds like you haven't been proved wrong yet.
1: Um, we, we haven't yet. We, we've had uh, at least one company come to us and said, we're doing something very similar. And, and we have a great deal of respect for what they're doing as well. They're doing some great stuff. But um, at the moment, we think it's the most sustainable because it's, the houses themselves have got zero carbon footprint or very close to zero. And is that, um, again,
0: during construction only, or is that actually throughout its lifetime as well? That,
1: That's well, first of all, that's during construction, and then the next thing we do is that the houses have got solar panels, PV panels generating electricity on them, and we've calculated the amount of energy they'll use for heating, hot water, cooking, cleaning, washing, uh, small appliances, and we've put enough PV panels on the roof of each house that they should generate as much energy each year as they use. So they will be net zero energy across the year. Um, which means they will have very, very low emissions in use, possibly zero, but it depends on which electricity provider the households are signed up to and, and their pattern of use and, and that sort of thing. But it's, um, we think it's the only scheme in the country that's got a zero carbon footprint and net zero energy in use. And then it's also certified as a one-planet living project yeah. Uh, now, One Planet Living is, is a scheme that's been around for around 20 years, brought in by a, uh, a charity called Bioregional, and it's a very simple concept. That we've got one planet, and we all need to be living within our fair share of that planet. At the moment, in Western Europe, we're consuming about three times our fair share of resources, so we've got to try and get that down. And uh, whereas we, as... Uh, developers and builders. We're very focused on, on things like carbon and energy. They help us look at the softer things like community, health, happiness, water, waste, transport. Mm-hmm. And there's a 10-point plan that, uh, that they work with us on to try and make all of those things as environmentally friendly as we can. Uh, we've also got a partnership with the local wildlife trust who've advised on all the Public open spaces, and then they're going to monitor it for the next five years, and report back to us and the residents on what's doing well and what might need changing. And then we've also got an electric car club as well. So you put all of okay. those things together, and um, we we think it makes it the most sustainable at the moment. Um, but the great thing is we've learned a lot doing it, and we know we can do better next time. So this isn't about uh, doing something and saying. Let's stop there. We we think there are things that we can do. We can lock up more carbon in future houses. We can generate more energy. We can do better on wildlife and ecology and all of these sorts of things. We we can ratchet up another notch or two on on the next schemes.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. i I'm, I mean, you mentioned a few things. One thing I'm. Uh, I'd love to go through all of them if if possible. The first sure. one that I'm really interested in specifically is. Um, is this mention of energy use and the fact mm-hmm. that after the house is built, which, as you've outlined, you're using bio-based materials, so you're able to um, keep that energy neutral—sorry, uh, carbon neutral—in um, order to actually maintain energy neutrality, sorry, carbon neutrality from the energy that you're using in in the house. First thing that comes to mind: living in the UK, it gets really cold in the winter, uh, and it's just cold kind of a lot in here and it's dark in the winter for long periods of time. So you need a lot of um, electricity for lights and for heating especially. So what's like one of the main things that you do to ensure that the energy that you use during these dark and cold times is actually kept at a minimum so that, you know, when there Mm -hmm. isn't very much sunlight, you're not actually needing to.
1: Yes. Well, light is probably a very quick and easy one to to deal with. Uh, We use LED lights, Mm -hmm. which are incredibly low-powered, and quite frankly, they use virtually no power. You're talking about 4 watts for a bulb that uh, in in old days used to be 100 watts. (laughs) So the LED lighting revolution has has reduced lighting loads to next to nothing. Um, Heating is a bit more challenging. We build to the German passive house standard. Um, So that means having large amounts of insulation in the houses. We have triple glazed windows, which incidentally, the frames of the windows are made of timber as well. So we don't use plastic or metal windows. They're they're timber windows, but with triple glazing, Uh, we design out things like thermal bridges. That's where you've got something that goes right through the wall that might conduct energy out of the house. We make the houses very, very airtight because most heat is lost through unwanted drafts, heat leaking out and cold air leaking in. Right. So the passive house standard has very strict targets for airtightness that, um, that we aim to beat.
0: Yeah. That, sorry, just to just to jump in, that reminds me of... Um, I- the the craziest example I saw of leaking out, We when I was younger, uh, living near San Francisco, we had uh, in our house, we had like a, an AC unit, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, and it was fit, fitted into the wall. And you could actually see outside through where they cut a hole for it. It was just like completely jagged and not yeah. Yeah. So you could Actually, if you look through, you could see trees
1: and things. Yeah, and, You'd be surprised. That sort of thing happens in new houses now in this country. So okay. to give you, to give you an example, the units are not quite the same, but it, it's it's a reasonable illustration. Building regulations require us to have an airtightness of ten or below. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Passive House standard requires us to be zero point six or below. So fifteen wow. times better than building regulations, and uh, we've now got teams of people who who excel at air airtightness and try to outdo each other <sighs> and and we've actually managed to get tests that are 10 times better than the passive house standards so That's amazing 150 times better than building regulations How, how do you test how to airtight houses You you basically fit a, a fan you take the front door off you you fit a uh, a fan into the front door and you pressurize the house and measure how much air you have to pump in to keep it uh, pressurized and then you run the test in reverse and depressurize it and then you take the average of the two. Wow. Um, so you
0: literally vacuum seal it or try to. Yes.
1: Now it sounds, it sounds a bit crazy because people think well if, you, if you're airtight that must be an unhealthy environment to live Like <laughs> living yeah. in a plastic bag or something. But actually we use materials that are vapor permeable so, so they let moisture pass through it's a bit like Gore-Tex so if you wear a Gore-Tex jacket it's different to wearing a plastic jacket Mm -hmm. Um, so you don't sweat it's not an uncomfortable environment Um, and then the next thing we do is we use a a ventilation system that brings fresh air constantly into the living rooms and, and bedrooms and it takes stale air out from the kitchens and utility rooms and toilets and bathrooms and things but all of that air passes through a heat exchanger so the the energy from the air that you're taking out of the house is used to warm the fresh air coming in. So you you recover over 90% of the heat in in the ventilation system. I see. Um, So all of those things when you put them together, none of them are, are that difficult, but when you consistently do them, it means your your energy requirement for heating comes right down. So so the house needs very, very little heating. 10 watts per square meter is the is the the target for passive house
0: that's incredible um,
1: so we don't have things like letter boxes because letter boxes are just a big hole in your front door aren't they yeah exactly um so we have a box outside that the, the mail goes in revolutionary um, yeah just <laughs> things like that yeah um,
0: i mean it so makes sense.
1: Get, that gets the energy requirement down very low we have a rated appliances The hot water is generated by a mini air source heat pump, so it has the benefit of of a a coefficient of performance that every unit of electricity you put in, you get three or four units of hot water out of it. So all of these things multiplied together mean that you don't need that much energy and you can get enough panels on the roof to generate all of that. Mm -hmm.
0: Even in the winter when it's relatively dark.
1: No, I mean, this is across, it's an average across the whole year. I so see, yeah. in, in the summer you'll be generating more than you need and some of that will be exported back to the grid and in the winter you'll be generating less than you need sometimes and you'll import from the grid. So it's about trying to, to have an average across the year. So that's why it's net zero energy. Makes sense. Um, but we, we do put batteries into the houses as well so that um, we can store as much Within the within a day or two, you know, you if you've got an excess, you can store it, and uh, you can buy electricity at night when it's cheaper, and that helps balance the grid. So there's a number of things like that.
0: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: So it's it's doing a series of little things. None of none of them on their own are are amazing, but they all add up together.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's very true for a lot of different things, especially like when you look at personal development, for example, you know, when you s- start stacking a lot of little habits together, yeah. that's where you start becoming successful. It's not just one thing. Marginal gains. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, or kaizen as the, the Japanese call the <laughs> term. Um, the other the other interesting uh, thing you mentioned was about, and I saw this written on your website multiple times, is the, is the term wildlife rich. And I, I think that's really nice in terms of uh, like a property development to think of it as wildlife rich. So, what does wildlife rich in in uh, in, in the context of a property development mean?
1: Well, um, it's it's a number of things. So, the, the first thing is the basic layer is that uh, we have to make sure that turning uh, grassland and woodland and you know greenfield site. Mm-hmm. into a, an area where people live in it doesn't reduce the biodiversity in wildlife so we've under the planning law we've got to at least have uh, no loss of of habitat uh, we want to make sure there's a positive gain so we do things like planting wildflowers to encourage insects butterflies putting things like log piles in which include which uh, attract insects and beetles. Uh, we plant more trees. We have hedge rows. Hedgerows are mixed species so that they don't all generate pollen and nectar and flowers at the same time. It, it spreads the life of the season as much as possible. Um, we try to provide wildlife corridors for things like hedgehogs to be able to move freely across the site and into the woodlands next to us and, and that sort of thing. So uh, um, in some cases we've been able to include green roofs on some of the houses. Really? Um, that's a, a, an optional extra for the clients, but some of them have, have taken it up on that.
0: It's amazing. I've actually heard that green roofs are also really good for going back to energy, um, uh, for lower usage of energy because somehow they're good for the heat.
1: Uh, they they do provide insulation to the, the buildings below we've got a lot of insulation anyway so that's marginal they they help with the speed of runoff of water so when you get heavy rain they slow it down they take the pressure off the drainage systems on the site so they have lots of benefits
0: speaking of drainages um, just a thought do you have any interests in looking at rainwater capture
1: again it's one of these things that uh, is an optional extra for people so some of um, some of the people here are having rainwater harvesting. This project is what's called a custom build project, so it means people can come along, they choose their plot, they buy the plot, and then we build the house for them. Um, so Sassy sells them the plot, and then Greencore builds the house for them. And we go through a whole series of choices that they might want to move internal walls, customize a few things. They they choose kitchens bathrooms tiles green roofs rainwater harvesting and all of those sorts of things it's like specking a car when you when you buy a car
0: yeah that's really cool and uh the 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 third point you mentioned was working with one planet living um i looked at their website they have a i love their vision it's their vision is of a world where we can live happily within the earth's resources
1: yes very simple
0: Yeah, it is very simple. Um, I wonder how easy it is. That's always the, yeah. the trade-off. Mm. So, so you, you mentioned the ten-point plan. What is um, and there's a list of things. How how do you actually fit into those areas into what they outline?
1: Right. So each one of the ten points. And I hope you're not going to test me on all ten of them. No, certainly. Uh, I may not remember all ten. But uh, if we take transport, for example, yeah. Um, what can we do to reduce the environmental impact of of transport so we can provide uh, an electric car club on site so not everybody's got to have their own car in some cases it might mean a family have one car instead of two because they've got access to a shared car oh that's cool
0: oh so you provide the infrastructure so to speak for like a a zip car, shared car style. Yes, it,
1: it's, it's a bit like a, a zip car scheme, but on a much smaller scale. So it's through a smartphone app. We will provide two electric vehicles to kickstart it, but we hope the residents will be able to put their own vehicles into it so that they can earn money from their vehicles. Mm. And overall, it reduces the number of cars on the site. Um, we're giving a, a voucher to people when they move in which gives them a discount off a bike from the local bike shop. Nice. And so uh, we're in a nice rural environment where there's good cycling around, so we encourage people to cycle. We've mapped out all the local footpaths, bus, bus routes. We will also, as people move in, give them um, a voucher for use on local buses. There's a good local bus route. So all of those sorts of things to try and minimise car use. Um, if we, one of the points is is nature and ecology, so we've already covered that. Uh, one is about energy and carbon, and we've sort of covered that as well. So uh, another one is is water. So encouraging rainwater harvesting, um, encouraging people to use less water by putting water saving devices into the, the houses. Okay. So one planet living is not about trying to dictate what people do, but it's trying to set up the infrastructure and, and the education to make it easier for people to do the right thing. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I, I like that. It's, um, I think it, it helps to encourage and possibly reward, if possible, good behavior rather than saying this is how it has to be done because th- even if it's good for you, it doesn't feel good when people it. Yes,
1: yes it's, uh, um, we're not trying to... Um, make people wear hair shirts and, uh, and live a, uh, a stone age life. We're, we're trying to a make it easier, but also create an environment in which you can have a a better quality of life for living in this way, rather than, um, a worse quality of life. Yeah. The the quality of life comes from the, the surroundings, the buildings, the, the nature, ecology on site and, uh, for example, you could, you've got a, uh, a two- or three-minute walk to catch a bus into the centre of Oxford. You, you probably know Oxford is quite congested. Mm. But the fastest way into Oxford is in a bus because it goes down the bus lane. It doesn't sit in the traffic like everything else. So, yeah. so if you live here and work or, or go out in Oxford, it's actually easier by bus than it is by car. So, so that's a great example of, of it being better to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's uh, that is an easy example. Um, going back to the the actual house assembly, um, I saw that you assemble the houses in the factory first, or, or you create a lot of the pieces and then you transport them to the site.
1: Yes, it's it's what's known as offsite manufacture. So all all the houses are designed by the Green Core design team, and then they're manufactured in the Green Core factory. We don't actually pre-assemble them. The first time they go together is when they arrive at the construction site to put them together. Um, we we have confidence that the design process is good enough that they fit together, but uh, but they're made as a series of flat pack panels in the factory, which helps us keep the quality control, uh, minimise waste, make them in a controlled environment so that uh, yeah, they're nice and dry when they get to site and. And that sort of thing. That's
0: that's a very clever way of doing it because I imagine on-site there's a lot less control. I mean, you're also typically building outdoors, so you have the elements to worry about. Uh, so, yeah. Brings yes, back- it,
1: it reduces the risk and it increases the quality and it also increases the speed because when everything comes to site, it's all flat-packed, lifted up with a crane and assembled quite quickly. So mm-hmm. you, can, you can get the house assembled and weather-tight within a few days and yeah. You have that um, house.
0: You, uh, you have that really cool um, time-lapse video uh, on on your website which is like what is it 2 3 weeks of how one of these houses are just quickly put together.
1: Yes, it's 14 days from yeah. uh, starting starting in the ground to to weather tight. It's um, incredible. And that's a, a, a typical time scale for the houses that we build. And then once you're weather tight, of course, you're protected from the elements and you can do the plumbing and electrics and plastering and decorating and things internally.
0: Makes sense. And so Sassy property, you just focus on Oxfordshire and, and that general area.
1: Yes. So far, Sassy's only done things in, in Oxfordshire and the Thames Valley. It's where we all live. Okay. So uh, we're all from this area. Um, And uh, we're a relatively new company. We were set up, the reason we're called Sassy Property, we were set up in 2017 to use our SAS pension funds. So SAS is spelled double S-A-S, stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme. And it's a way of using our individual pensions, but pensions of other people that we know who share the same sort of vision to, to do something worthwhile as well as getting a financial return on.
0: Yeah. That, that kind of answers my question well first of all I was curious to know about the name and, and that settles that because sassy with with four s's is
1: yeah it's rather strange uh,
0: yeah one s uh, too many typically um, so that that settles that the the other question I was I'm just so curious to know is and, and you, you touched on it there is really why why choose to focus on such environmentally friendly building practices and property
1: developments uh, yeah right um- it's it's because the individuals within the team all have a bit of a background in that area. Mm. So I have been in construction for 33 years. The last 20 years of that has been doing environmental construction products and projects. and uh, uh, So it fits naturally with me. But uh, our CFO has a background in uh, renewable energy and fuel cells. Uh, has been pioneering um, entrepreneurial green startup businesses for many years. Uh, one of our other directors has a background in waste to energy. And uh, collectively, when we all got together, we found that our common interest was, um, was sustainable construction.
0: The reason I was asking earlier about if you're only in an Oxfordshire, and sorry, I'm j- jumping around, uh, was because one one thing I've been thinking about, and um, I, j- I just think it would be so cool to see somewhere in central London a uh, property development as well that is basically what what you're doing uh, in Oxfordshire and Thames Valley. Uh, just in the center somewhere of London, you know, Mm. being maybe five, six stories tall or or higher. Um, I mean, you'd have some space to walk around, green roofs, rainwater capture, a lot, you know, and Mm. uh, it it would just be in the center of of a major city.
1: I think we're we're seeing more and more of those things being planned and built at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first project that BioRegional did is called Bed Z. It's at Beddington in South London rather okay. than Central London. Mm-hmm. But it was 100 zero-carbon houses, zero-carbon in operation. And that was done almost 20 years ago. Oh, wow. And it's still... One of the, the great things is it, they did it 20 years ago. One of the sad things is it's still one of the exemplars. Hmm. Not enough has been done in the last 20 years to to overshadow it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there are... Other projects in Central London that I'm aware of. Um, some architects called Wall Thistleton did a, uh, a multi-story cross-laminated timber building a few years ago, which has got to be the way forward using innovative engineered timber products for doing higher rise buildings. So there are there are more and more planned at the moment, and we'll see more over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. I the more I think about it, the more I'm convinced without any sort of research or anything that, that people want this, uh, even if mm. it's a niche, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in kind of in my heart, I guess that uh, if you build it, they will come, which is typically not the way to run a business. <laughs> but yeah. um, I just think there, there is a desire for living in these kind of eco-friendly and carbon neutral places without having to sacrifice.
1: I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And there's been a, um, a real shift in the last 18 months when, 18 months. Wow. when it, there's been a steady change over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. There have been some milestones along the way. Uh, if you think 2005 was when the world ratified the Kyoto Protocol, which was really the sort of first world targets on, on climate change and carbon reduction. And then we've been through various steps since then. But uh, the biggest thing we've noticed is is what we call the Greta effect. Yeah. That in the last 18 months, it is now on everybody's mind. Um, we we are seeing people coming to Springfield Meadows to look at or buy plots and build houses because they want a green lifestyle. Um and our marketing message has, has shifted from the environment maybe being fourth or fifth on the list of, of attributes to being on the top of the list.
0: Yeah.
1: 18 months ago, any marketing company would have said, don't major on the eco benefits. It's all about lifestyle and location and appearance and that sort of thing. Um, but there has been a massive shift in that 18-month period, yeah. which I think is really positive.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Now I'm guessing you're saying this is eco-friendly. By the way, you don't need to compromise on lifestyle and and location and anything else. Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: You get the best of all of those things.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that, that's very that's very heartening to hear, and I'm glad to hear, to, to see or hear that at least. I'd, I'd love to see some of these uh, properties, especially in the center of London, where it just you don't have as much space to work with. And I think, like mm. you're saying, it, it ends up being very uh, a lot of you need a lot of innovation too stay eco-friendly and, and keep to all of these uh all of these things while working within a loud noisy
1: Yeah some some things are easier and some things most things are probably more difficult
0: yeah mm. um so one question i'd love to ask kind of as a uh as a inspirational piece for me really is um aside from doing all these amazing things that you're you're doing with sassy and with uh green core what, what do you personally do in your day-to-day life or whether it's at home or at work, I mean, everyone's at home right now, um, to be environmentally friendly.
1: Um, I, well, I suppose a number of things. I, I drive an electric car. Um, so over the last 15 years or so, I suppose I've, I've tried to pioneer a range of eco-friendly transports from, driving cars that were powered by recycled vegetable oil to hybrid cars. And, and now I'm all electric. Um, I live
0: in... Sorry, the recycled vegetable oil just brought to mind um, back to the future.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I live in one of these houses that I built myself. Oh, wonderful. Um, so we, we have incredibly low energy bills. We have PV panels on, on the roof. Um, we we try to do our best in terms of minimizing energy, maximizing recycling, thinking about what we're doing. Like everybody, we're on a journey. You know, we're Absolutely. we're we've got a long way to go to get to that one planet status. Um, but uh, but we're trying, and we're we're trying to encourage other people to do the right sort of things as well. So. I suppose our mission is to build enough of, of these low and zero carbon houses that it just becomes the norm. Um, the industry can no longer ignore it because if we can do it, anybody can do it.
0: Yeah, and I think um, I, I mean I, I love the the day- to- day examples, and I think what you're what you're doing with Sassy and GreenCore both um, in terms of paving the way and and like you said, setting setting an example for others. I think that's one of the most important things to do is is really to show it is possible. It's not as difficult as you think. Here's some key points to to look at and um, then others start doing and you hopefully start sharing. Like you Mm. were saying, there's that other company. Uh, And I think just showing others that it is possible. That's one of the most important things.
1: I I think so. And uh, uh, if you go back to... um the, the 1950s, nobody had run a mile in under four minutes. Right. And uh, Roger Bannister was the first person to run a mile in under four minutes. Everybody said it was impossible. Within a year, another six people had done it. So it, it's actually showing people that you can do something that that uh, allows them to, to free up their mind to be able to do it themselves. Exactly. So, um, it's not easy to do. Uh, it's not easy to do the first time, but once you learn how to do it, it's not difficult to do it either. So, uh, so it is about trying to, trying to sort of pave that way and show people it can be done.
0: Yeah, paradigm shifts. Yeah. Um, well, Ian, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed it. It was very educational. Uh, and what, so, where can people learn more about, about SASE, about Green Core, and if they're interested in, in living in a green or, or carbon neutral? Home, where can they learn all about it?
1: Yes. So you can learn about sassy by coming to the, the sassy property.com website. So that's sassy with two S's at the front and two in the middle. Um, or you can go to the greencore construction.co.uk website. You can when the lockdown's over, you can come and visit Springfield Meadows and look at there are still a, a few plots available. Um, or or Greencore's also built some other houses recently which are available for sale in the Oxfordshire area as well. So um, visit Greencore or Sassy's websites. And uh, if you're interested, make contact with us. Come and have a look at what we've done. Yeah,
0: and before the lockdown's over, you have plenty of photos and lots of resources on the websites to look at. So uh... Yes,
1: and, uh, and we've got more photos coming all the time. We've, we've actually finished um, six houses in, in the last four weeks. So oh, Really? Fantastic. We, We've been able to uh, carry on by taking some sensible measures about social distancing and uh, and still getting some houses. Oh, that's excellent.
0: That's good, and and it's great to hear that you're pro- able to provide work for, for people because right now is the most important. That's one of the most difficult things. Is, you know, is. What you do. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Again, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. And, thank you. Uh, great to see that even in in construction and all these other uh all the areas around it you're able to reduce your carbon and heal
1: the planet while you're doing it thanks daniel take care and stay safe yeah thank you very
0: much you too thank you very much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it give us a five-star rating and also please subscribe whether on your podcast app or on youtube and that way you can be the first to know about new episodes thank you very much and talk to you soon